Well, good morning, New Life Manitou. My name is Taylor. Would you please stand for the scripture reading? We're going to be reading out of Jonah 3, 1 through 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn, his, turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring them the destruction he had threatened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, you are good. You redeem us. You give us not just second chances or third or fourth chances, but Lord, you redeem us. You cover us of all sin. And Lord, we praise you. We worship you. Lord, we love you. In your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and God's people shouted. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I've really been looking forward to preaching this message. It is a message about revival. It is a message about a servant of the Lord preaching a message. And we get to know that 120,000 people turn to God. We have this detail in the book of Jonah. And it's amazing. Like I've studied some church revivals. I've, went, I've gone to seminary. I had a wonderful opportunity to actually teach uh, some college level courses. And we looked at revivals in history. We looked at like the revival in the book of Acts, Pentecost, where three thousand people in one day are added to the number. We fast forward a little bit. Protestant Reformation, or the, the word of the Lord goes all over Europe. Fast forward a little bit to the Americas, the first great awakening, the second great awakening. We looked at Azusa Street Revival in some seminary classes and the, and the Pentecost and the gifts of the Holy Spirit being poured out. I've looked at and studied uh, the Jesus movement of the 60s and 70s. I've looked at some of Billy Graham's movements and his crusades where thousands of people would come forward. But maybe out of all of them, this revival, 120,000 people turning and coming to the Lord is pretty awesome. And all it took was the word of the Lord coming upon one of his servants, that servant Jonah, we see reluctantly at first, but then goes to Nineveh, preaches and people turn and revival happens. And this is in our history. This can happen again. If we are obedient and we share the word of the Lord, revival can happen. Amen? Amen. Let me try over here. Amen? Amen. Second chance. Amen? Amen. It, this is this is why we exist as a church, you guys, to make disciples, calling them to worship, connect, and to serve. And so this message, it's 
exciting. It's a two-point message. I know what happened to me in the old three-point. I know I know some of you are giving me the three. It should be a three-pointer. I just don't have it. I got, I got two points is all today. So we'll go through this. There is quite a long like overview, which if that helps you think of this as a three-point sermon. <laughs> just kidding, you guys. <laughs> all right. Turn to the book of Jonah, chapter 1, verse 1. We see that the word of the Lord comes to Jonah He's the son of Amittai. He's told to go preach against Nineveh's sin. There's sin in Nineveh. The wickedness has come up before the Lord. And Jonah is called to go up to preach to Nineveh. Instead, what does he do? He literally goes the opposite direction as if running from the Lord. There's some silly elements of this story that maybe it's not meant to be funny, but I chuckle that someone would be like, uh, the, the Lord calls them over here to Nineveh and they literally get on a boat to go the other way as if you could run, as if you can hide from God. The whole thing, maybe it's not meant to be humorous, but it's, it seems a little silly, maybe just to me. So Jonah goes away from the Lord and here... Um, we, we see that Jonah is inside a boat and the sailors are up against a so- storm and they realize that this storm is somewhat supernatural and they try to figure out who is the cause of this storm. Turns out to be Jonah because he's running from the Lord and Jonah says, throw me overboard and they end up doing it, but they reluctantly do so and they call out to the name of the Lord. Think about this. Here's a prophet running from the Lord. Here's these sailors calling out to the Lord for mercy. I wrote it down this way. God uses a God fleeing prophet to turn non-believers to God fearing. This is like a theme happening in Jonah again and again. God uses a God fleeing prophet to turn non-God believers to God fearing. And then they throw him off the boat. They, they call out to the Lord. They throw Jonah off the boat. And then what happens? He's swallowed, right? Even kids know this part of the story. He's swallowed by something. And it's this point that I would love to get. I was, my undergrad degree was in biology. I would love to take a whole sermon and talk about what in the world could have happened there where a fish monster beast swallows a human being. But it just uh, it's pretty vague from the text as to what animal it was. And we just don't have enough details. In fact, if you want to know the Hebrew, this will bring us to a nerd alert. You know what to do. Nerd alert. (laughs) I see a couple new faces. And trust me, if this was the weirdest this congregation got, this would be nothing. But just don't watch the announcement videos. Um, A whole other thing happens. Anyways, getting into the nerd alert, the Hebrew, the Greek, the Hebrew here is dog. So the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Jonah was written in Hebrew. And this this word is a very general term for like a sea beast, a sea monster, uh, a sea creature, dog. And in the New Testament, Jesus retells the story and says Jonah got swallowed by a, in the Greek, it's ketos, which is once again, a very just plain term for some sort of sea creature. We don't know what this creature was. My kids like to argue about whether it was a fish or whether it was a whale. Jay thinks it's a megalodon shark that's now extinct. He's pretty sure. Um, We don't know. Was it a dragon thing? Was it it an extinct speed? We have no idea. It's really, this text is not calling us to scientifically analyze this text. This text is a very serious text 
meant to teach us about theology. And Jonah, even though he runs from God, God is chasing him. Uh, like the song we sang, Steadfast Love. The Lord is chasing Jonah. The Lord is chasing Nineveh. And it's really a theology about God. And when people run from him and are turned back to him, then it is a scientific explanation of a fish swallowing a dude. Right? Are we cool with this? You good? Say cool beans if it's cool beans. Cool beans? Okay. Jonah goes. Jonah is called up to Nineveh. He's called go to Nineveh. Listen to the ways of the Lord. And instead he goes down from the hill country down to the coast. He goes down to the docks, gets down into a boat. The storm rises. Then he gets down into the bottom of the boat. Then he's thrown over. Like the, still, the Lord's calling him this way, this way. He gets down into the water. Then a fish beast swallows him. And he goes down into the belly of this fish beast. And where is he supposed to be? He's supposed to be listening to the Lord. He's supposed to be over here. He's supposed to be going to Nineveh. Instead, he's way down here. And it's like he has this moment where he's in the belly of a fish beast. And he prays this prayer, which is the sermon last week. But you almost have to wonder, like, how did you get there, bro? You're in the belly of a fish beast. How did this happen? And on a serious note, like, I see this happening like this tug of war between us knowing we're supposed to be going this way us knowing we're supposed to be listening to the lord and we find ourselves way far away unfortunately away from the ways of the lord and it's like we we wake up and we're like how did i get here i used to be the college pastor at new life north and it was an incredible ministry it was called the mill any mill people Okay, I see a couple hands. I see, all right. Um, it's like when I started going to the mill, I was in my 20s, and now I'm in my 40s. And so there's been a long history of, of like reconnecting with some of these people that I knew when I was in my 20s and they were in their 20s. Just reconnected this week with people that are in Cambodia. Our missionaries uh, were good friends of mine. When we were all in our 20s, they've now been serving in Cambodia for now 10 years. And it's wonderful to catch up with them and say, oh, you're doing well. You're doing great. You're missionaries. You're, you're looking out for people and shepherding people. You're in a foreign land sharing the good news of the gospel. Wow, you guys, the Goodlands, Jacob and Noel, you're doing great. And then I often hear stories of people who are like in the belly of a fish beast of their life. And it's like, how did you get here? Just a couple weeks ago, I reconnected with a, a guy I knew when I was in my 20s. He was in his 20s. And it's like, how is it going, man? You, you look great. Uh, yeah, you look great too. How's it going? How's life? And he just kind of collapsed. He said, I'm not doing well. Haven't been to church in a really long time. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm going through a divorce, and which surprised me because I, I didn't even know you were, you were married. And here he is in this place. And I'm like, how did you get here? And I was just listening and trying to shepherd him. And he knew that he, he was in a dark place. And I was like, how did, how did you get here? And he's like, well, you know, over time, slowly. Isn't that the life's journey? We know when the Lord is calling. We know the direction we're supposed to go. And yet we slowly, like Jonah, end up in a place far away from the Lord. Lord, have mercy on us. And the Lord has mercy on Jonah. He finds himself in this belly of this creature. He cries out to the Lord. He asks for help. He quotes nine different Psalms. He quotes Lamentations. He quotes the book of Job. Listen to last week's sermon. Brett did an amazing job preaching on this text. And the Lord answers his prayer. And the, the fish beast 
creature, megalodon, whale shark, spits out Jonah onto dry land. And what does Jonah do? He then goes to Nineveh and the word of the Lord comes to him a second time. And spoiler alert, the people of Nineveh repent. And guess what? Jonah is not happy about it. So next week, we'll look at this. Why wouldn't Jonah be happy about it? Well, because he really disliked the people of Nineveh. He did not want to see God's grace. And spoiler alert, he knew that God would be gracious and he would forgive Nineveh. So that's really the reason why Jonah doesn't want to go. But this is all next week. This is all spoiler alert stuff. Let's get to point number one, shall we? We thank you. We shall. Point number one is this. Judgment and justice are good. Judgment and justice are good. They're good things. They're, 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 it's like a either side of the same coin. Another way to talk about this would be to talk about the Lord's love and the Lord's justice. You can't really have one without the other. And you can't really have judgment without justice. Uh, it just doesn't really work. You see, when we live our lives, we go about life, I think we want justice for ourselves, right? We want it to be treated fairly. We, if, something, if we did something uh, wrong, but it was by accident, like we kind of want justice. We want to be treated fairly, right? Say, right, yes, that's what we want. And when we see somebody else mess up, though, like someone like just, just hurting other people, and we, we're like, why would you do that? We want judgment upon them. We're like, well, I don't know their story. I don't care to know their story. I just want them punished because they did something wrong. Let me give you a quote about kids, because kids see this all the time. Kids see injustice. They could smell it a mile away, and they hate injustice. Here's a quote from Charles Dickens in Great Expectation, and I, I have four little boys, which... I will tell a couple um, uh, sermon illustrations about my little boys, and I pray that their counseling bills in 20 years are not too high, but um, nothing bad, just little boys and justice, you'll see. So here's the quote, in the world in which children have their existence, the little world in which children have their existence, whomsoever brings them up, there is nothing so finitely perceived, so finitely felt as injustice, right? Seeing another brother do something wrong in our household is like the worst thing ever. A couple weeks ago, Max, our four-year-old, accidentally, truly, accidentally stole a pack of gum from the dollar store. The story, he was with my wife, uh, and and he asked, can I have this piece of gum, this gum pack? And they were there to, we do this little present point reward system. We have an app, and we see him doing something good, and we give him a present point. We try to, it was trying to be good parents, you know, seeing it, lifting up their good behavior. So anyways, they were at the dollar store getting treats because Max had been good. And he says, Mom, can I have this pack of gum? Mom says, yes. He just puts it in his pocket. Right? <laughs> Leaves the store, comes back home, and his brothers find out that he stole a pack of gum. So they're all just berating him. You're going to go to jail. You're going you're gonna to spend the night in jail. You're never going to see us again. You're going to prison. You're going to do hard time, man. And he's crying, and we're like, whoa, 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 what happened? Turns out he did steal the pack of gum. They all wanted judgment upon him. They're like, you need to go to prison for the rest of your life. The police are coming. I can hear the sirens now. And it's like, what in the world? And so we, mom gets involved. I get involved. We find out, no, what needs to happen here is not just judgment. We need justice. And so my wife called the dollar store, talked to the manager. Little Max gets on the phone. I'm so sorry. I stole the pack of gum. And it's like, it's okay, buddy. Stop 
crying. It's, it'll be okay. You're forgiven. And it all ended up being okay. But it's like the brothers wanted judgment. But what needed to happen was justice. Some more stories about my little boys, because this is just ripe for, you know, for in our household, I, I don't think there's a waking hour where there's not like a fight going on, where there's not poking and pinching and like sticking out the tongue at one another. Like it's just, it constantly happens, constantly um that's just what, what goes on. And so uh, yesterday, as I was thinking about the sermon, uh, Jay came in holding his cheek because someone threw a snowball at him. It turns out to be Rowan. And he uh, accused Rowan of putting a rock inside of a snowball and throwing it at Jay as hard as he possibly could. So Jay comes in just holding his face like, oh, I'm going to die. And a good test because like, we could be going to the hospital daily in our house. So I, always, I have this test question that I ask them. Parents, you feel free free to use this. Um, but I always say, uh, do you need a band-aid? Do you need medical attention? Or would you rather me go punish the brother who did this? And 99.999999 times out of 100, they say, punish the brother. Stitches can wait. A tourniquet, that can wait. Resetting bones, that can wait. We need justice is what we need. And then I kind of realized, oh, okay, you're not really hurt. What just happened was something wrong. And so, so I went outside, talked to Roe, and he got a timeout. Uh, I don't think there was a rock in the snowball. That was maybe an exaggeration of what happened in that particular incident. But kids want justice and judgment and if a wrong has been done i think all of us maybe our emotion we don't wear our emotions like little kids do but all of us like something wrong happens and we want justice and judgment and they are actually good things when a loving god a loving judge implements the justice and the judgment. I think about um, just this week on Tuesday at like four o'clock in the morning, morning in our neighborhood, somebody was going around breaking into cars on our street and the next street over. Some people got them on their, their cameras. Uh, I don't think they've been caught. Were they caught? I don't think so. Um, but, but some cars got broken into. Our cars did not. We have pretty crappy cars and nothing inside of them to steal, apparently. Um, so they, they passed by our house. But other cars got broken into. And the, just the sense of injustice, like someone has broken into my car, like Ken and I, where his, his car was stolen yesterday. The injustice of like, why? Like, like this person needs to be caught. So let's say, I don't think this person has been caught. I don't know that they will. But let's say they are caught and they are brought to justice before the judge and there's evidence. You got the stuff that was stolen here. There's a heap of stuff. You got them on camera. You got uh, videotape. You got the license plate, so on and so forth. The judge says this person is guilty, slams the gavel down, guilty. They're guilty. Justice, right? All right. Everyone's free to go. That stuff you stole, you could have it. All right. Everybody's free to go. Peace. All right. See you, right? You'd be like, What? No, like, that's not justice. There needs, to be, there needs to be judgment. You need to pay back. You need to give that stuff back. You need to pay for the broken windows. You need to pray for the broken things. You might need to spend some time in jail. You need to learn from this. Judgment and justice do go hand in hand. And the Lord says he is going to judge the Ninevites. You have 40 days to repent. And some of us hear this message. You're like, wow, how can a loving God want judgment and, and justice to bring these people. And it's two sides of the same coin. Let me say it this way. Imagine you went to a doctor with a, 
some sort of disease, maybe a lung disease, you have a bacterial infection, you have, that's what tuberculosis is, you have a tuberculosis infection in your lungs, and um, you go into the doctor, and he's like, yep, you got a bacterial infection, but the doctor says, but, but I love all forms of life, and I think bacteria is a form of life, so, so we're not going to treat this, we're just going to see how you do, because I don't want to hurt the bacteria. You would be like, what? Are you crazy? Like, Pump me full of antibiotic. Like, oh, we want this disease out of here. I don't care about the bacteria. I want this wrong thing out of here. I want this sin, this dark thing, this evil thing that's going to kill and destroy. I want it out of here. If you go to a doctor and you have cancer, you don't want a doctor that likes cancer or loves cancer. You want a doctor that hates it and will do anything to help you live and remove this dark thing in your life that's literally killing you. Right? Amen? Amen. And so we have a Lord that does not like the ways of evil and injustice and wickedness. And the Lord wants to remove it. And we find out later, we find out in chapter 4, this is spoiler alert stuff. This is next week's stuff. But all along, Jonah knew that the Lord is merciful. And all along, Jonah knew that if he goes to preach and threatens this, this warning, that the people would repent and the Lord would relent. And that's really this bigger picture of a loving God. He does want righteousness and wickedness to be squelched down, but he ultimately wants people to turn to him and to get uh, forgiven. So let's look at the story um, I think about it like this. God wanted people to come to him, so he sent someone to share. Jonah just ends up being this prophet who shares a message. God wants us today, this world, to know him, and so he sends us, sends people, us disciples, into the world to make more disciples, to have people return to the Lord, to have people repent and from their ways and return to the Lord and follow him. And I think there's something about a warning. I wrote it down this way. I said a warning is an expression of care and concern. In the summertime in Manitou, if it rains really heavily, uh, there'll be an alert that comes on. Have you guys heard this? Seek higher ground, flash, flood, warning. Have you heard this? It's every summer. They test it a couple times, and then I think the last two years ago was, was a big flood that hit Fountain Creek. In 2013, how many of you were here when like the big one hit? And, and unfortunately, houses got destroyed. People were killed in those 2013 floods. And so the message of warning is actually a message of concern, is a message of love. Like We don't want unknown people to be down by the creek if there's a flash flood happening you won't be able to get out you will be killed it is very dangerous the same thing in manitou uh with the i think about floods and parking are the two biggest things in my am i right can i get an amen um so park i was thinking about this uh just the other day L- last summer uh so i was walking by and i saw a car uh park get out and they had out-of-state license plates and they were in a residential zone over on Grand Avenue. And so I just went up to them and said, hey, you're in a, you're in a residential spot only. You can get a ticket if you're parked here. And the guy was really mad like that I was like, acute, like he was just like residential. He's like, oh, blah, blah, blah. So mind your own business. And I was just like, oh, oh, sorry, man. Jeez, I must be having a bad day. So I kept walking. And sure enough, 30 minutes later, I come back. What's sitting on his windshield? A ticket. Like, I didn't go up to him to point out 
Like he had, he had parked in the wrong area because I wanted to like make fun of him. Maybe he thought that, but I was truly going up to him to warn him, you're going to get a ticket. And in, in residential zones only, do you know how much that ticket is? 70 bucks, are you kidding me? Like I was going to him to warn him and he took it as like a personal attack. And I wonder if in our world today, warnings that go out about wickedness aren't perceived that way. Like if some of us as loving Christians, disciples, try to gently, lovingly warn people of the direction they're going and it comes across, unfortunately, as us pointing out or judging. It's like, no, no, no. We're not the judge. We're just a messenger about the wickedness of sin. And and the Lord actually loves you and would love for you to repent and to come to him. And that's exactly what happens with with Jonah here in this whole story. There's an opportunity um, just quickly because we'll we'll have a meeting after to talk about our Cambodia mission. It'll be a 30-minute meeting, to, to just a quick meeting to talk about our missionaries. But it's an opportunity to go to a very dark region of the world. I think about the United States. And, and of all the darkness here, many of us are uh, negative about what's our, our generation and our country. And, and whatever your opinion is, um, we could kind of just look at the stats and say, well, at least, you know, for whatever it's worth, 70 to 80, some, I've seen numbers as high as the low... Uh, the, the low 70s to high 70% of Americans self-identify as Christians, which I kind of like, I'm like, well, where are they on Sunday mornings then? But for whatever it's worth, 70% of Americans self-identify in some way with the God of the Bible and a Christian worldview in some way. Now compare that with Cambodia, upwards of just 2% of people uh, identify themselves as Christians. So we're talking about a land where truly the gospel has not gone out. It is not a popular thing. It's not a well-known thing about the gospel and the Bible and the love of Jesus. Just isn't, it's 2% compared to 70-something percent. And Cambodia is a very dark region of the world. Think about comparing it to the wickedness of Nineveh. I think about human trafficking, like a modern-day slavery happening there. I think about uh, one of the cities our missionaries are at, uh, Sinukville is the city where it's right on the coast, right on the beach. By daytime, it looks like tropical paradise. By the nighttime, and if you know the back doors and the back alleys, well, then really what this place is is just an onslaught of, of Chinese tourists coming to this city and to get all of the things they can't get in mainland China, the gambling, the drug use, the addictions, the prostitutions, the, the underage, like, like trafficking and prostitution. I mean, it is bad, bad, bad stuff going on. And so our missionaries and the things we get to do is to partner with them as a prevention for human trafficking, partnering with them to show the love of Jesus to a country, to a place in the world that is very, very dark. So let's move on to, let's get back to the sermon. Point number two is this, our God redeems. This is point number two, if you're taking notes, our God redeems. And we'll conclude the sermon with this point. Um, But Jonah chapter three starts off with this. That the word of the Lord came a second time to Jonah. And some of you might just need to hear this today. That, that we are very glad that the Lord comes to us a second time. The word of the Lord comes to us a third time. The word of the Lord comes to us a fourth time. And a fifth and a sixth and even a seventh. And it continually comes to us. We are given chances by the Lord. And I think about the way the Lord calls us. He calls us to uh, forgive one another. 
Peter and Jesus in the New Testament, fast, fast forward a little bit, are in this conversation where Peter asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive someone who wrongs me? And Peter throws out this number, like seven? Like that seems like a lot. Like if someone hurts you and then apologizes, you'd be like, yeah, whatever. If someone hurts you a second time and then apologizes, you'd be like, come on, man. If someone like hurts you a third time, it's kind of like in our day and age, it's kind of like three strikes, you're out, right? But what if it happens a fourth time and then a fifth time and then a sixth time and then a seventh time this person does the same thing? And isn't that enough to, to ask someone, to forgive someone who's asking for forgiveness? And Jesus says, No, not seven times. One translation says 70 times seven or seven times seven. Like you keep forgiving. If that's what the Lord is calling us to do, mere humans, how much more does the Lord forgive us and chase us down with his love? I think about... um, not just more chances. Like we, we are not saved. Salvation does not just look like let's get some more chances to act better and do better. But the Lord truly redeems us up out of the pit of just trying harder and harder. I went skiing on Friday with my, my two older boys and Papa paid for the trip. We went to Ski Cooper. Rowan got a lesson all day. He's six years old and he was doing greens just tearing it up, just shredding on his skis. And at the end of the day, we picked him up and he was like, I want to go do the chairlift. So we make the journey up the big, the awesome, the bad, the chairlift. And we get off the chairlift and he's doing great on this green run. And then it got really steep. There was like 100 yards of pretty steep skiing. And poor little Rowan, at the end of the day, his legs are tired. He just kept falling over. It's probably like three seconds of skiing and then like skis falling off. And I would help him. And we put this take 30 seconds, 45 seconds, a minute to put the skis back on and then three seconds of skiing skis everywhere and we're putting his hat back on we're putting his he's putting his skis back on his yard sale every like 30 seconds and he was just he was beginning to get frustrated and he finally said I mean this was probably 20 times of falling down and picking up his skis which he's got an incredible amount of resiliency just to do one or two but he probably fell down 20 times he finally says dad can you hold my hand and I thought, I could do better. I, let me hold. And so I held him, uh, his little skis dangling between my legs, and I snowplowed down this like 100-yard section of really steep ski terrain. And I just thought, is that the Lord? Like, we try, and we try, and we try. And even when we fail, well, the Lord can lift us up. The Lord can hold us. The Lord can fully redeem us, not for just giving us more chances, but redeem us from the ways of sin and destruction and give us eternal life. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus recounts this story. Jesus is in a conversation with some people and he's talking about Jonah and he says that that someone greater than Jonah is here. Something greater than Jonah is going on. And I think about how we receive from the Lord, how we receive the forgiveness from the Lord and what Jesus does for us. In a couple of minutes, we're going to pray and we're going to receive communion as we do. And one of the things we do at New Life Manitou is we come and we receive We receive from communion. The people serving uh, give us the bread and we receive it with empty hands. And that's thought out. There's purpose behind that and the the symbol of the mystery of of receiving empty-handed the bread of Jesus coming into our hands. There, that's, that's, we, we've thought that out. There is the people serving, you know, sometimes people come through the line, you're like, this is gross, like someone's touching my food. And the people, it is thought out, we, there's hand sanitizer, people wash their hands. Um, but sometimes it's like, well, why? Why can't I just take it? And it's like, well, 
The mystery of communion, the mystery of a relationship with Jesus is that we receive. Jonah received the word of the Lord a second time. The people of Nineveh received the word of God and then they repent. And there's something very unusual uh, unusual about how they repent. They not only uh, repent and just say they're sorry, but the king issues a decree, says everybody Everybody fast. Everyone stop eating because we are going to go into mourning and we are going to make this a very serious declaration that we're serious about um, being sorry about our sins and our wickedness. So no one eats. If you've never fasted, it's, it's a really uh, amazing practice that connects you with the will and the heart of God in prayer. Um, and so they fast. This whole city fasts. Then it says, he issues a decree that everyone needs to put on sackcloth, which is this ancient custom of not putting on nice clothes, not putting on comfy clothes, but actually putting on clothing that's kind of uncomfortable. And it's a physical representation that we are uncomfortable with the ways of this world and we want to be awakened to the ways of the Lord. And then it goes into this detail of, of even your animals, to make sure your animals don't eat, eat anything and make sure your animals put on sackcloth, which in all my reading of the Old Testament, I, I once came to this passage and I was like, this is funny, right? Like, uh, like people dress up their little chihuahuas, like little space guys and little firefighters and little chihuahua, I don't know, little birthday hats and stuff. But here in the ancient world, the king is telling everyone in Nineveh, dress up even your animals in sackcloth. And I picture this, and I can't help but to smile a little bit. Like, is this supposed to be silly? It might not be, but I'm laughing a little bit, just imagining little sheep and goats with little sackcloth hats on and little sackcloth booties. Um, Is that just me? Is that a little funny? But it's this image of, like, we're so sorry, and and we're even going to, like, make our animals fast. And put on sackcloth. Everybody, every living creature is sorry to the Lord for what we have done. And we go to the Lord and we say our sorry. And and spoiler alert, next week, the Lord relents. He does not destroy Nineveh. He provides mercy. It's like this, going back to Jesus saying that someone greater than uh, Jonah is here. I wrote it down like this, a couple phrases. Jonah runs from the word. Jesus is the word. Jonah proclaims judgment. Jesus takes judgment. Jonah descends into this sea monster. Jesus descends into the grave to bring eternal life and to conquer death. Jonah is, ends up being mad about God's grace being shown to the Ninevites. Jesus is glad and rejoices to see the grace of God um, go out into all the world. And so if you would, would you stand with me? We're going to pray Then Tyler's going to come and lead us to the table. But let's pray and consider these words. That God, you have redeemed us. You have taken us from the very low places where we have often found ourselves. We found ourselves, Lord, away from you and your ways. And Lord, we're sorry. We repent to you. Lord, we come before you um, repenting like the Ninevites who have said there, there's wickedness. And Lord, we, every single one of us would say, Lord, there's things in our life that are wicked that we've all turned away from you. And Lord, we, we return back and we receive from you. This coming to the table, Lord, is all about receiving your grace and your mercy. So Lord, that's what we do. We, we humbly repent and we thank you for your mercy and we thank you for this table. So we take a moment and, and just quiet ourselves. We humbly repent.